Well, good morning. The thing about good news is that it's supposed to be shared. You want to share it. You have something that has happened in your life, and it's a, a good thing, and, and so you're excited about it. Or maybe you've even experienced something where you've had a weighty care or a weighty concern, and it didn't turn out you know, as you first expected, and things are better than you thought. And so here's this desire, here's this excitement within you that can hardly keep it contained. So, you tell others about it. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, you have good news. You have good news that needs to be shared You have good news that you ought to be sharing with others. God's will and our calling is that the gospel of Christ is to be proclaimed throughout the world in every generation. For example, in the lifetime of the apostles of Christ, the word of truth was preached in all creation under heaven. Paul is able to write those words by the direction of the Holy Spirit in his letter, his epistle to the church at Colossae. That the gospel had been preached in all creation under heaven. That happened in the lifetime of the apostles. Now was it because the apostles by themselves did everything? That they, they did all the teaching? Is that that's why it happened that way? Well, no, that's not why it happened. It didn't happen in the fact that because the apostles did all the teaching. No, all Christians did their part in evangelism. And that's illustrated, for example, early on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, if you recall. Persecution you know, under the direction and the leadership of the Jews has increased And we're told in Acts 8 verse 4 that the Christians in Jerusalem scattered. And so basically the church scattered out of Jerusalem. The apostles remained in the city. But for the most part the rest of the Christians. And you got thousands of those at this time. And he said they scattered and what did they do? They went about preaching the word. This year... I would like for us to encourage one another to have the mind of Christ in regard to saving souls. Let me say that again. This year, I want us to be encouraged one another so that we have the mind of Christ in regard to saving souls. There is but one gospel. And as we're told in Romans chapter 1, Paul says he's not ashamed of it. Why is that? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, we read this verse and it's referred to many, many times in in sermons and Bible classes and maybe in conversations. 
I want you to think very briefly about what this says. First of all, it says the gospel is God's power. The gospel is God's power. His words are truth. His words are life. His words convict and they judge. The power is not in the vessel who carries the message. The power is not in us who share the message, who share the good news. The power is God. And Paul, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, an apostle of Christ says, the gospel is the power of God. The living message that penetrates minds and hearts. And that power... That message saves believers. The gospel saves believers. God's revelation is able. God's revelation will accomplish, will do what he has spoken. What he has said. In James 1, 21... When the gospel is received, when the gospel is heeded, what are you told about that message, the word of God, and what it's able to do? He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, you know, there's the repentance at work, putting all that away in humility, receive the word implanted. So you've got to plant something you got to plant it in hearts, in minds, and when it's planted, what can it do? It is able to save your soul. Not just your soul, but other souls too. Believers need saving. Believers need saving. The gospel is God's power to save the believer. That's why Paul could write in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6, when talking to the church, the saints, the Christians in Ephesus, that through the gospel these obedient believers became fellow heirs, they became fellow members of the body, and they became fellow partakers of the promise. They didn't become fellow heirs, members, and and partakers until they had heard and heeded the message of God's power. And this power that can save believers is for everyone. It is absolutely for everybody. God loves the world. Good, bad, and everything between it. God loves every soul For they are made in His image. He is their creator. And He desires to be their redeemer. Jesus died for all sinners. Even sinners like Saul. Even sinners as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When He says, and such were some of you. And He names a lot of terrible things. The gospel is for everybody because that's what God wants everybody to hear. The gospel of salvation is not to be hidden 
from any single person, anyone, is not to be hidden, held apart from them. It is to be shared. And so when it comes to the gospel, there should, ought to be, there should never be any kind of prejudice of any kind that should block access to somebody hearing the gospel. We should never allow any kind of prejudice we have, any kind of partiality we may show, we should never allow any of that hinder us from sharing the gospel. From the beginning, it was intended that the gospel to go everywhere, to the entire world. In Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, he says, go make disciples of whom? Of whom should we make disciples? He says, of all the nations. Or as expressed in Luke's account of the Great Commission, in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Who's the all nations there? It's all. It's everybody. Well, what kind of everybody? I think that's illustrated, for example, back in Luke chapter 14. In one of Jesus' parables, I think it illustrates, you know, know, what may be, what kind of folks may be the all that the gospel is to go to and that who may actually come to the gospel. It's those described here in in the parable uh, of this wedding uh, wedding feast, this dinner, uh, Luke 14, verse 21, when the master says, okay, go out. Yeah, once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring here the poor and crippled, the blind and lame. And they did that. And still there is room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Who's the all of all nations? It's even those that are in the streets, the lanes, the highways and the hedges. That's who. And we can imagine what those people might just look like. The gospel is for everybody. And you have the gospel. You have good news. And the very nature of the gospel is that it is intended to be sounded forth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you have the example of our ancient brethren in the city of Thessalonica. Men and women who converted to Christ by the proclamation of the gospel. And it changed them. And when you pick reading up there at the the end of that short chapter, he says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. He says, I am commending you, brethren, because from you the gospel has sounded forth. These Christians received God's word when they heard it. And when they received it, they received it for what what it really is, what it truly is. It is God's word. 
It is the word of God. That's what it is. And that's what convicted them. And you look there in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, He gives thanks constantly you know, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you know, Paul went to the city of Thessalonica. He preached there the gospel you know, at, its, at the beginning. He says, you heard it from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, even though it's coming out of the lips and, and, and the tongue of men. When they heard the message, they knew that wasn't simply Paul's words and his co-workers' words, but what, it really is the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. The gospel convicted those people. The gospel converted those people. And the gospel transformed those people. And the fruit of that allegiance, the fruit of their allegiance to their new Lord and King Jesus was proclaiming the word of the Lord in every place. They were converted and now they served. And they wanted to share that message with others. Do we have the same passionate allegiance that they had? Do we? I find this word for sound forth quite interesting. You look up there, you know, sound forth in the Greek lettering here. It's a compound word that really means a loud echo, and an echo such as a, a trumpet sound or a thunder is, is the root idea. And so what these people were doing is they were thundering the gospel. They were echoing what they heard and what they learned. And so when he says, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, he's saying the word of the Lord has echoed from you. They, weren't, they were not the source of it. They were not the originators of truth and light and salvation. But they were echoing what they knew, what they learned, what they believed. And so Paul commends them for that. Why? Because the very nature of the gospel is it is to be sounded forth, echoed by God's people. Because their allegiance is to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. So why was this so important to them? Why is this still so important? Well, these Christians at Thessalonica, they had been deceived previously by idolatry. They had been deceived by falsehoods. And now they have come to know the knowledge of the truth. And what they had learned and come to acknowledge and believe and understand was only Jesus can rescue men from the wrath to come. Verse 10. There were, you know, here are these saints, Christians, waiting for the Son's return from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. They believe that. And so when they looked around and they interacted with, you know, you know, with the community, they saw lost souls. They saw people who, if they did not convert to Jesus Christ, 
the wrath of God is going to become upon them. They believe that God's wrath was coming. And we better believe it too. We better believe that God's wrath is coming and is coming upon all sons of disobedience as expressed in Colossians chapter 3 verse 6. Where it talks about and lists a number of, of sins of verse 5 that are to be put away. He says because it's for these reasons the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Or over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 you know, where it talks about the judgment of the Lord. The, you know, this good news from God, the news from God is good. But you know, part of the good news of the gospel is the fact that God warns us. That's good news. <laughs> to be warned about what's coming so you can take measures properly for what lies ahead. That's good news. And so the good news of the gospel is the fact that God warns us about judgment. He warns us about the outpouring of justice upon all those who do not obey the gospel. Verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 1, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians believed that. They understood the truth of that. And they had converted to Christ so that they themselves would be rescued through Jesus Christ from God's wrath that is coming. And that's why it was so important to them to share that same message with others. So they too could be rescued from the wrath to come. God has chosen earthen vessels to proclaim the treasures of the gospel. That is God's plan. That is God's choice. That he has chosen earthen vessels to proclaim the treasures of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this concept is being used in describing the apostles' work as well. In chapter 4 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure? Well, this knowledge of truth, this knowledge of Christ, this knowledge of good news. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's God's choosing. You know, God... God through Christ, or Christ the King, chose 12 apostles to be part of the foundation of the church. And he chose certain apostles, and he sent them out proclaiming the message. But the need of the message is ongoing in every generation. And so he's ordained other workers to, continue, to carry that message onward. But the point is, God has said, you are my vessel. And you may be an earthen vessel that you know, has been broken but mended. 
But he says, but you need to now share the gospel with others. So they too can be mended and made whole. Divine wisdom has determined that the best way, the best way. Now, this seems a little, little strange probably to mo, you know, you know, most human thinking. But the best way to convict and convert hearts is through the word of the cross. You know, Paul presents the same argument. He presents the same scenario. And, and, and the world in general, you know, just thinks it's foolishness. But you look there in 1 Corinthians you know, chapter 1, verse 18, when it says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To the, wor- the world that doesn't believe it, doesn't accept it, doesn't want it, they just think it, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's just a, a, a bunch of nonsense. That's what they think. But to us who are being saved, to those who know the truth... To those who have been convicted by the truth. By those who have been saved by the truth. To us who are saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God. Verse 21. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You will not come to know God. You will not know salvation through man's wisdom. You can only... Come to that knowledge through God's wisdom. For that reason, God was well pleased with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It's through communicating the word of the cross, the gospel of Christ, by telling others the message of salvation. That's God's way of doing it. It's not through all the kind of contraptions and activities and social and recreational opportunities. It's not through all kinds of programs the men think up churches need to be doing that will not save souls. The gospel will. The gospel is the power. And God has chosen you and me to be the vessels to share it with those who will listen to us. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, when Jesus chose 70 disciples and sent them out to teach in every city. Now, this is sometimes what we call the limited commission. It's during the ministry of Jesus and so he, in a sense, has called in more workers, more laborers, you know, for the task that he had to try to accomplish in three and a half years. Three and a half years goes by pretty quick, doesn't it? Just think about where you were three and a half years ago and how much has changed. I mean, it's like just a, a drop in the bucket. But you look here, you know, so the Lord's appointed these 70. He sends them out in pairs to every city, you know. Uh, where he himself was going to come. And so they're, they're kind of, they're in a sense, it sounds like to me, they're kind of doing the, the pre-work. They're cutting ground. They're you know, getting, getting the soil ready. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
He basically told him, he says, you know, I'm sending you out on this job in every city to get things ready for me to arrive. And he says, and you are not enough for the tasks before us. We need more than 70. Why is that? We need more because the harvest is so great. It's so immense. The need of the loss, you know, the call of the gospel is so great that all disciples must do their part in echoing the words of the Savior. Seventy is not enough. You need more. 180 is not enough. You need more. When you look in Ephesians 4, think about the the design of the church, the Lord's design of the church and the body of Christ, and how there are Christ-ordained ministers, Christ-ordained ministers in the body of Christ, and those ordained ministers of Christ, not ordained to men, Jesus foreordained this, Jesus planned it, Jesus put this in place, in motion, not men, and what, and what is their role? What, what is the objective? What is the ultimate objective of these Christ-ordained ministers in the body of Christ? And you see that in chapter 4, verse 12. And so they're listed in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? Why, why, do, why do you point these men? Well, he says, there's a reason to my madness. And he says, the reason is, it's for the equipping, it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So Christ-ordained ministers are to be equipping members of Christ for working. It's not for... Making you feel good while you're comfortable on a pew. That may be somewhat questionable. But you're sitting in a comfortable place, heated in cold weather, cooled in summer. That's not what our work is for. To make you feel good in here. Christ-ordained ministers are for equipping Christians to get to work. Paul, for example, instructed Timothy, a young evangelist. He says, I want you to teach faithful men why. Why was he told to teach faithful men what he'd heard and learned? It's so they, in turn, would teach others. And the others is not just the ones we already know who are receptive because they are our brethren. The others is everybody, brethren included. Teach faithful men so they will, what? Be equipped, furnished to go out and teach the gospel. So yes, so the body can be built up, edified, and grow spiritually stronger, but also so the body can increase its membership 
It's not about numbers. It's all about saving souls. Jesus, throughout his ministry, devoted himself to proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark 1, 14. He went about everywhere proclaiming the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom. If we are to be imitators of Christ, if we are called to be conformed to the image of our Savior, our Lord, our King, if that's what he was all about, and if we're going to imitate him, what should we be doing? We need to be like the Thessalonians. We need to be sounding forth in every place the gospel, the word of the Lord. So that souls be rescued from the wrath to come. And in conclusion, the Lord told Paul in Acts 18, he was in the city of Corinth. The Lord told Paul that in spite of the opposition he was already experienced, and everyone wasn't receptive to the gospel in Corinth. But in spite of that happening already, he told Paul, he said, I want you to stay here for a while. And the reason why I want you to stay for here a while is because I have many people in this city. Paul didn't know who those people were yet, but God did. And God knew they needed a Paul and they needed a Timothy, that they needed men and women such as Aquila and Priscilla working together taking the gospel to hearts that had had receptive ears to the truth. What about here? What about Murfreesboro? What about Murfreesboro? I mean, we are, population is exploding exponentially. And some of us can complain about the traffic. You know. But you know what that is? That's opportunities. That's opportunities for us to share the gospel. What about Rutherford County? It's huge. <laughs> it's just huge. May we have the mind and the heart of Christ. May we have the mind and heart of Christ to be about the business of sounding forth God's power to save sinners through Jesus Christ. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Baptism alone did not save us. But it saves. We are saved by grace through faith. And all those who hear and receive and heed the gospel of Jesus Christ can and will be saved. Are you doing that, though? Are you hearing God? Are you heeding God? Are you obeying Jesus? We encourage you today to begin that journey. A journey of faith where you submit unto Christ the Lord by calling upon his name in the manner that 
he has provided, you can do to have your sins completely, totally removed. That's mercy. That's mercy. Will you do that today? If you're not a Christian, you've not obeyed the gospel, we want to encourage you to confess your faith that Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, raised on the third day. With that confession, repent of your sins, turn away from the world, turn to the Lord, and be baptized into Christ. And He will wash away your sins. And you'll be raised up a new person. Because now you are the workmanship of God. It is God working in you now. If you are a Christian, and there's sin in your life that you have not corrected, you have not gone to your Father and made right in humble penitence, if we can assist you today, praying with you, praying for you, invite you as well, come, make your wishes known, while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.